0: Hi there, this is Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire. And this is the Love to Tell the Story podcast. One thing that Jesus makes very clear is that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. But what does that really mean? And who is our neighbor? Based on the story of the Good Samaritan from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, this is the message entitled, neighboring, and it begins with one of my all-time favorite and very true stories. It was a dark and stormy night, (laughs) or at least a very cold one. Late one November years ago, back when I was still a student pastor up in Maine, I went back and forth almost daily from Holton to Bangor, and that night I was driving north on I-95, heading home after a long day of classes at the seminary, and I had just pulled over to a rest stop off the highway. And I'd no sooner stopped the car when there was this banging on the passenger seat window and a voice urgently yelling, hey, 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 you, you, can you help me? Please, I need your help. Now that pretty much jumped me out of my socks right there. But when I leaned over to roll down the window, this was in the days when you still had to roll down windows, that's when I really got scared. For staring me in the face was this huge man that I can best describe to you as disheveled, more than a little haggard in appearance and well, kinda scraggly looking. And as I quickly peered beyond him into the darkness, I could make out the shape in the distance of a rather scraggly broken down van filled with a rather scraggly looking family. And now this scraggly man was leaning into my car in a very imposing fashion. Folks, he was close enough that I could not only smell but see his breath. And he is quite literally in my face. And he's telling me uh, about he and his family and how they were stranded out here in the middle of nowhere and how cold the night was getting and could I please, please give him a ride to the nearest mechanic. Now, I I am not proud of this, but I do have to confess to you here that at this point, I'm already trying to figure out in my head how I'm going to get away from this guy. Though in my own defense, it was an uncomfortable situation, and, and I didn't know what to do. But though to this day, I'm still not sure if I acted out of compassion, guilt, or abject fear, in the end, I nervously agreed to give the man a ride. Of course, as he got in my car and I pulled out of that parking lot to get back on the road, it was white knuckle all the way. And, and by the way, in those days, I was driving a little Dachshund B210, so it was also quite cozy. <laughs> And when I asked this man where he needed to go, he, he guess he just sort of grunted. And that provided me no comfort wh- whatsoever. And now, you see, my mind is starting to create all sorts of horrible scenarios. and It was drawn from a hundred bad movies that I had seen. I was absolutely sure that at any moment, Scraggly Man was going to pull out a gun, steal my car, or even worse. I was done for. I knew it. This was surely going to be the last day of the rest of my life. But I just kept driving, terrified, and saying absolutely nothing. Well, finally, my passenger broke the silence. So what do you do for a living, he asked. A little surprised at the question, I answered nervously, "Uh, well, um, I'm a minister. And then this huge man heaves this incredible sigh of relief like the weight of the world had suddenly been lifted up off of his shoulders and he says in a way that men in northern Maine can only say, thank God. (laughs) Pastor, I don't mind telling you I was pretty nervous. You just never know these days what kind of people are going to pick you up. (laughs) Turns out, he was as scared of me, me, as I was of him. And you had to laugh at it, right? But I also have to say, I I felt a little bit ashamed. You know, true story, this man wrote me a letter at the church a week later, thanking me for my great kindness, praising God that I happened on that rest stop when I did, When the truth of it was that instead of having compassion for his wife and children stuck out there in a frigid May night, I was fearing the worst. And mostly because, quite honestly, of the way the man looked and the way he sounded. Oh yeah, I'd done the right thing, good for me. But what I realized that night is that in a heartbeat, I could have just as easily taken the route of the priest and the Levite. And pass by on the other side. Friends, it's a sad commentary on our times that the level of compassion that we show to others is so often metered in compromise out of our fear. Granted, you know, I don't want to take this lightly. It's a dangerous world we live in. And it's out of necessity that we've had to toughen up with the times and I wouldn't necessarily recommend picking up hitchhikers in any situation, but the cost of that has been that all too often we've risked becoming distrustful, cynical, suspicious of the motives of others. But you know what the good news is, is that there are still those out there whose compassion springs forth out of faith that there are people who are not afraid to take the risk to care, that there are those who do not measure the worthiness of those receiving their kindness, nor do they calculate the liabilities involved in intervention. They respond simply because something needs to be done. They give of themselves not because they have to do it, because they have to do it. When you come right down to it, It's that kind of an attitude, and moreover, that kind of a life that's at the heart of our Christian faith, is it not? And that, friends, is ultimately what this morning's text, what Gail just shared with us, this parable of the Good Samaritan, is all about. Now, I know that this is one of those passages that, as soon as Gail started reading it, we already knew it. We knew it almost by heart. It's so familiar that, it, that it's a story that hardly needs retelling. I suspect that most of us could pretty much tell this story with Bibles closed and eyes shut. A man's walking, traveling down the steep and perilous road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he falls into the hands of robbers who strip him of his clothes, who beat him up, and they leave him there on the side of the road half dead. The priest and the Levite, both men of the religiously upright variety, they come by, they they see the man lying there, but they choose to pass on the other side of the road so they can avoid having to deal with, with him and his injuries. It's the third passerby, Jesus says, the Samaritan, who, by the way, and this is kind of key to the whole story, In Jesus' time, a Samaritan was considered by Jews not only to be racially impure and politically dangerous, a walking heresy as far as their faith was concerned, it's the Samaritan of all people whose heart went out to the injured man. Giving him first aid, disinfecting and bandaging his wounds, carrying him to safety, And even providing for his healing and his welfare to the point of telling the local innkeeper that if his care costs any more, just put it on my bill and I'll pay you on my way back. It is a great little story, but there's a lot that's very interesting about it. One thing, it's a story about violence. And yet, as Jesus tells us, there's not much said about the robber's brutality. It's a story, certainly, about the hypocrisy of those in power, but in reality, Jesus says precious little about the priest and the Levite and their motives or or even their righteousness. In fact, in this case, Jesus sort of lets us draw our own conclusions about those two. No, instead, Jesus spends most of this story talking about the Samaritan stranger. This stranger, this impure, inappropriate person that that the Jews of the time just sort of were always suspicious about, he spends most of his time talking about the Samaritan who stops along his own journey when he sees somebody in need. Because of the three who come by, it's only the Samaritan who takes the risk that comes with the detour. He's the only one who responds to the man bleeding in the ditch who does for him, and what's more, does so extravagantly. Against all expectations, you see, the Samaritan brings a different conclusion to a story that would have otherwise ended in death. And to all this, Jesus simply adds these words. Go and do likewise. Now, as I said before, this is a very familiar story. And and these days, when we read the story of the Good Samaritan, we look at it as a feel-good story. It's inspirational, chicken soup of the soul kind of stuff. Even that name, Good Samaritan, it is really, in our culture, becomes synonymous with anyone who does good deeds. It's a story that is regarded, dare I say, as the quintessential warm and fuzzy fable from the Bible. But you know what? If you look at this story a little more closely, what you find out is that well, the story that Jesus is telling here is in fact anything but warm and fuzzy. Remember, first of all, that this particular story comes in response to a very serious question posed to jesus by we're told an expert of the law and we're told that this expert of the law was seeking to test jesus teacher he asks, what must i do to inherit eternal life so remember that first off second remember that when jesus answered this expert of the law that eternal life was about loving god and loving neighbor it says that he was seeking to justify himself. Actually, I love how the message translate this, translates this. It says, looking for a loophole, immediately this lawyer asks, and who is my neighbor? Hmm? I added the but I think it's there. Needless to say, this story about a priest, a Levite and a Samaritan, was neither what he expected or wanted to hear for an answer. Now, what the lawyer did not understand, you see, is the same thing that you and I so often fail to grasp. That loving one's neighbor is not so much about who they are, but rather who we are in the sight of God. True compassion you see, is extravagant. It's costly because it allows for interruption. It it involves risk-taking. It assumes that one is going to see, it's going to hear, it's going to touch, maybe even surrender if the circumstances warrant it. Real compassion, you see, the kind that simultaneously loves God and loves neighbor involves giving of our whole selves to those in need. This was precisely the kind of discipleship that was demonstrated by irony of ironies, the lowly Samaritan. And in a worldly culture in which fear and ignorance has always had the power to pull us away from each other, this is still the way of life that Jesus calls, to which Jesus calls you and me today. Now, does this mean that we should jump into potentially dangerous situations without fully knowing the consequences? No, at least not necessarily. But what it surely means is that you and I, who would be disciples of Jesus Christ, need to free ourselves of the fears within ourselves that keep us from true compassion. You know, it on countless occasions over the years as a Pastor, people have come up to me and in our conversation have said things like, for instance, you know, I would have loved to have called or visited so-and-so when they were in the hospital or sick at home or when they were struggling with their grief or their addiction or their divorce or whatever. But I was so afraid I would have made it worse. So I didn't. Or they'll say to me, oh, well, I wanted to give something to them. I wanted to offer up some assistance. I, to, maybe even to simply hold their hand or say a prayer with them. But, you know, I was afraid they'd be offended by that. So I didn't. Or this one. I'm sorry. But, you know, I'm not really good in those kind of situations. I don't know what to say to people like that. So I just don't get involved. I've heard that, I've heard other things as well, but you know, the worst part of it is these things are rarely said to me as an excuse. It's usually something spoken after the fact as a regret. What we so often miss is that every single day of our lives brings new opportunities to be good Samaritans. There are situations every day in which we can offer compassion to those who are wounded and bleeding from the body, perhaps, but just as likely wounded and bleeding from the soul. We can be the kind of neighbor that Jesus is calling us to be in the story. It can happen in a myriad of ways, Something in something as simple as offering a listening ear or, or a shoulder to cry on. Or maybe, yeah, maybe sometimes it's going to offer or involve a riskier stance of standing in solidarity with those who have been unjustly wronged or who have been hurt, who are just seeking some clarity for the way ahead. The point that Jesus is trying to make here is that for us to truly live, that is for us to to inherit eternal life, that means acting faithfully in the midst of these opportunities that arise. And that, says Jesus, means that we're going to bring forth mercy and compassion and love in all we do. That we're going to be extending God's grace to a hurting world. You know, in one of the congregations I served years ago, our after church time of refreshment and fellowship was routinely referred to as neighboring And what that meant, of course, is this was our time not only to fill up on coffee and sweets before lunch, but also as an opportunity for us to get to know one another as friends and, yes, neighbors. It was an important and much beloved tradition for that church. I got to tell you, there were times over the years when I began to worry if worship was just merely a prelude to neighboring. You know, and we and oh, folks tried to outdo themselves, you know, there was major spreads in the in the fellowship hall. It was really something else. And I know that this kind of neighboring, it's 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 a beloved tradition in all of our churches in one sense or another. But what always kind of kept me fascinated was that being was being struck by the use of that word, neighboring because not only did it denote a time and a place and an event, it was by its very usage an action. In other words, neighboring not only served in that church as a noun, it was also a verb that we ought to be neighboring, not only in times of refreshment, but always. Well, friends, it seems to me that the question that Jesus sets before us today is whether we are truly neighboring in the way we should. For instance, does our neighboring extend outward to any and all in need? Or is the truth of it that it's been offered mostly to the people that we already know, the ones who are familiar and safe? Is our neighboring based on our joy, our generosity, Or is it affected by fear and uncertainty? And can our neighboring be considered extravagant in nature? And do we risk something of ourselves and our own hearts in the process? Does our neighboring make a difference, friends? And I ask these questions, you see, because... True neighboring changes hearts. True neighboring changes lives in ways that we cannot even begin to measure. And and, and even as much as that, it changes us as well. The very act of being a good neighbor helps us to grow spiritually. It bolsters us and it directs us in the way we should go. And it anchors us to solid ground in a world that is ever and always seeking to shake us down to our knees. To push us away from each other, to make us fearful and uncertain. And at most, to make us uncaring and uncompassionate to one another. Well, as Jesus tells the story, it's the Samaritan, the Samaritan, who showed mercy And offer kindness to the stranger in need. The question before us is, is that going to be our story as well? I hope and pray that it is. That when the opportunity arises, and it will arise to do some neighboring of our own this week, by God's grace, we might be moved to go and do likewise. And as we do, may our thanks be to God. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled Neighboring. It was recorded during our October the 22nd service of worship at East Church, where, by the way, you are always invited to join us in person for that worship. It happens every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at the church on 51 Mountain Road, which is just off Exit 16 of I-93 in beautiful Concord, New Hampshire. I would love to have the opportunity to welcome you to our worship, and I know you'll be glad you came. For now, that's it for this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. I do thank you for listening today. And until next time, may God bless you with a great day every day.